You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts while the Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome, listeners, to this New Year's edition of On the NBA Beat. No Fishman twins this episode, but I am excited to bring you John Corrales, co-founder of the great Celtics website, RedsArmy.com, and the Raining Jays podcast. Something you might not know about John is that he's the first graduate of his alma mater, Emerson College, to ever play professional basketball, playing for a year in Greece. He can also sing a mean Frank Sinatra at karaoke. Hey, John. Thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. So Boston's off to their best start since 2010, sitting at 18 and 13. They're eighth in the crowd at East, but only one game out of the two seed right now. Coming into the season, there's a little bit of a dichotomy of opinions about where this team would be. A lot of statistical models actually really love the team, saying that they would be the second seed in the East. But some journalists were a little bit more skeptical, thinking that the push at the end of last season was more of a fluke. I think even 31 games in now, it's still a little bit hard to pin down how good this team actually is. But let me ask you what you thought about them coming into the season and if that perception has changed at all as this season has progressed. Well, I think, if I recall correctly, I pegged them at about 47 wins for the the year. So that's about what they're on pace. I haven't done all the math for it, but I I mean, at at 18 and 13 now, I think they're, I think 47 wins, give or take a couple, is is about right. If they win 50, that's only three off. Uh, I was a little surprised. I still am a little surprised at how much. The computer models love the Celtics. I'm very optimistic about them, but they are still missing some key elements to long-term sustained success. Uh, I'm very happy with the development of Jay Crowder, who is becoming as much of an, well, I shouldn't say as much of, but a pretty good offensive threat. I wanted to say as much of a, a threat on offense as he's on defense, but he's just so good defensively right. that he would have to be he would have to be an elite scorer because I think he's an elite defender. But he's not that. But he's still scoring pretty well, and he's having uh, a great month, and he's a nice revelation on offense. Uh, I think Isaiah Thomas has be- become more of a passer than we anticipated. Avery Bradley scoring has been a lot better than we anticipated, and guys like Kelly Olynyk are starting to come up off of the bench. So I'm happy with where the guys are developmentally. There are some nice surprises. I think they're going to have a pretty good regular season. So it wouldn't shock me if they won 50 games and climbed to the second or third seed in a you know very tightly contested East. I still worry about them in the playoffs. I don't think they have the type of makeup that will be a very successful playoff team because rotations shrink the game slows and teams are so familiar with one another that they learn all of your plays they know everything about you and just becomes about talent overcoming other talents so they've got enough to win a first round series 
I still, even after all, all of this, I wonder how they'll do in the later rounds because they don't have that one takeover guy. When Isaiah Thomas, and this is one of their flaws, when Isaiah Thomas gets into hero mode, then the Celtics tend to have a little bit of a problem. And it's, it's, it's his greatest strength but his greatest weakness because it's that chip on his shoulder that makes him play so well at his size with his flaws. But when the game gets down to the last couple of minutes and the Celtics are down two or three, sometimes I think he plays a little outside of himself and he tends to just hold on to things, play that hero ball, like I said, and eliminates the ball movement that makes the Celtics so good. So I think he can be a clutch scorer. He's obviously a great clutch scorer, but he's at his best when the ball is moving and he can get some pick and rolls going and and then make some decisions off of that. So I like where the, where the Celtics are. I think they're very well positioned for the future. I think they're going to continue to have a pretty good regular season. Um, I'm afraid that the comparisons to Atlanta will be will hold a little too true when you play that starless basketball and they'll get into a playoff situation where they're maybe a little bit more disappointing than their regular season would let on. We'll definitely come back to the d- development of Crowder and Bradley and Isaiah Thomas's role later in the show, but first I want to touch on the Celtics' elite defense. They're second in D-rating as of this recording, first in opponents' turnovers, second in seals per game, fourth in opponents' three-point percentage. What is it about the Celtics that makes them so tough on defense? They have bought into a system with Brad Stevens that requires uh, a lot of guys to work together. It's not really one person that's destroying the point of attack. It's it's more of a, a group effort. They're playing the pick and roll differently than they have in the past. They're doing a lot of icing and keeping guys out of the middle. And they are just really working together to force players into position where they can anticipate where the passes are going. When, when you know what a player's tendencies are and you force guys more to the sideline, they know that the ball can only go so many places. That's one of the beauties of when you ice the pick and roll and force the guy sideline. There's a baseline and a sideline, and obviously the ball can't go either of those directions, so you can focus your efforts a little more where where the ball might go. So they do a great job that way. They communicate well. They get their hands in the passing lanes. uh, And then on top of it, they have, when Marcus Smart is healthy, they have three really elite NBA-level defenders in Avery Bradley, Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder. But on top of that, obviously Amir Johnson's a pretty good defensive player. And uh, Kelly Olynyk has emerged as a, a solid defender who still has a ways to go, but he's, he's making defensive plays. Isaiah Thomas, who used to be a complete liability on defense, is making some decent defensive plays. Not that they're great defenders, but within the system, it works. So they've got a complete buy-in. And everybody's just working and, and, and just, I hate to put this in player speak, but executing the plan. But when you get everybody doing it, it, it's pretty good. And literally everybody on that team is doing it. There's not a, a James Harden type on the team that's going to sit there and let their defensive responsibilities uh, get away from them. Isaiah Thomas is, is like the number one culprit, 
but you see him getting his hands up and being active. Doesn't always make the right play, doesn't always make the right decision, still gets hung up on pick and roll, but he's trying. And when everybody's trying, you're going to make those few defensive plays that are the difference in winning and losing games. Yeah, that's so true. In the NBA, especially when you have a system that works, a lot of defense just hinges on people giving the requisite amount of effort on every play. Even if you don't have guys who are known to be great defenders, but still give the effort, as you said, like Isaiah Thomas or Kelly Olynyk types, uh, working within the system, it really, as a team defense, it really showcases what they can do. And that makes the defense so, so much better. Let's focus on Jay Crowder a little bit now. You pointed to how he's a really probably the best defender, maybe on these on the Celtics. Uh, maybe Avery Bradley is, but he's also has a developing offensive game now, and he's really exceeded all expectations after essentially being almost a throw-in in the Rondo trade, I would say. Can you talk a little bit more about what he brings to Zim and how he's been able to improve so much now that he's getting a larger role? Yeah, I mean, obviously defensively, he has such versatility because he's got the size to defend at least three positions on a regular basis. He can guard two, three, or four, uh, in depending if you want to go big or small. But he can also switch onto a five, and he can switch onto a point guard for shorter shorter bursts. But when you want to, in a last possession situation, switch on everything, and he switches on to even pick even Steph Curry or Chris Paul, it's not it's not a decimation. It's not like Enos Cantor switching out on Steph Curry. You right. know what I mean? It's it's a guy who can, in the moment, at least provide defensive resistance and make him work. So in a last shot situation, it's not a clean look. And that's really important. So defensively, he does all of those things. He can guard LeBron. He's strong enough. He was guarding Carmelo Anthony the other night, and Carmelo was trying to back him down and could not. Melo's a strong guy. He's a bull of an offensive player. And Crowder did not give him uh, any space. Any He didn't back down at all. So he can go out and, and do all of these things. Offensively, his three-point shooting has improved a lot he's he's really worked on that he can and because because he can shoot the ball he can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket and he's drawing fouls and he's been shooting he's tailed off a little bit lately but for a while there he was like a 94 percent free throw shooter so he can do a lot of things especially in an offense where he's not necessarily the main option but when the ball kicks out to him for three, he's reliable enough. Not like he's going to be a knockdown shooter all the time, but he hits enough where you got to you got to pay attention to him. And if you pay too close of attention to him, he'll get by you. He's one of the I want to say maybe the second most important player, and that's up for debate on this team because he does so much defensively. You could make an argument that he's the most important player. If Isaiah Thomas wasn't so important to the offense then you could say that Jay Crowder is, is probably the most important player on the Celtics. Yeah, you spoke about his versatility on defense. One way Jay Crowder has been utilized very effectively this season is in the small ball four type 
role. Maybe actually that's his more natural position. Jonas Terepko has been getting a decent amount of minutes there also at the small ball four. But the issue, I think, is it it'll adds a little bit to the logjam already. That's the big man rotation of Olenek, Sullinger, Johnson, Lee, and Zeller. Out of that group, Zeller seems to be the odd man out most games. Now he's averaging less than 10 minutes per game this season after being a major contributor last season. Can you help us sort out a little bit that crowded front court? if there's a set rotation, if it depends more on matchups, and what is your opinion on the current minutes allocation for each of those guys? Well, I, I think it's a bit of a shame that Zeller has fallen uh, so far out of the rotation. He was the projected starter at center coming into the season. Right. He started the opener with David Lee and Jalil Okafor, ate him up, and that was it. it, it it's weird because... If Kelly Olynyk didn't pull Kevin Love's arm out of his socket last year in the playoffs and wasn't suspended for game one, I don't know how this all would have shaken out because then Jared Sullinger came in, played great against Okafor, and then assumed the starting position from there on out. Mm -hmm. I think really one of the big problems for the Celtics as far as the big man rotation goes is David Lee, whom I am not... I am very anti-David Lee on the Celtics. It's not that I dislike him personally. I don't think he fits at all on this team. And I would love to see any sort of trade that gets him out of town as fast as possible because he doesn't spread the floor. He rebounds, obviously, fairly well, but he's not finding guys like they thought his playmaking would be huge and it's not really materialized so much. He's just a, like a net negative. When he's on the floor, it's a net negative for the Celtics. He's been hurt lately, and coincidentally, things have been going pretty well. You have Amir Johnson, you have Olenek Sullinger, and then you mix in some Zeller. You, you go small, you can get Jarebko, you can get Crowder in there, and that really works well. Because the Celtics, to go small, if you put David Lee out there, then he's just an undersized four. But when you put Olenek, Jarebko, Crowder in there, they're stretch fours. And that completely changes the entire dynamic of the Celtics. And that in those situations, you could put in Tyler Zeller and get some production out of him. So minutes-wise, I would like to see no David Lee. I would like to see more Kelly Olenek because the Celtics seem to do well this season. I think they're 12-2 and two when he's playing 20 minutes or more. When he gets the minutes, he's producing. Uh, and I think he's an important guy off the bench. And then I would see like to see opportunities for more small ball with Jarebko. I think he's starting to figure it out a little bit. And Jarebko also allows you to switch defensively. And definitely more small ball for Crowder and all of that stuff. I still would like to see Zeller mixed in. And I don't know, moving forward, Amir Johnson's not necessarily around next year. His his contract's not guaranteed for the following year. So even though Zeller's out of the mix now, there's no guarantee that he's completely off of this team. But it depends. It depends on how he does in, in free agency next year. And switching gears to the backcourt, as you mentioned, Isaiah Thomas might be the most important player on the Celtics, certainly offensively. And this year is a borderline all-star as well. He started most games this season. How has he adjusted to that role after being 
the runner-up to the sixth man of the year last year. And do you see him as someone who can lead a franchise? He was a guy that was essentially cast aside by his two former teams, Sacramento and Phoenix. He's been really good this year. And like I said earlier, his passing has been a very big element. He, he's, I think he's averaging a career high as far as assists go. So he's doing a lot more to get other guys involved, which in turn is helping him offensively. He's having a tremendous year. I think he is an all-star. Uh, he won't get voted in, but he'll make it onto the team. He's he's too good, and then you can't have a team like the Celtics, especially if they the, the way their schedule is matching up right now. They have an opportunity to, to go on a little bit of an extended winning streak. If they go into the all-star break as uh, a top playoff seed, top four, you can't have no all-stars. So he's going to be at least their one all-star. I think that as a starter, he's always wanted to start. And the emergence of Avery Bradley's scoring ability, once Marcus Smart comes back, I think you could move Avery Bradley to the bench and get a more well-rounded defensive presence uh, on that second unit. So Thomas will continue to start probably. And I think he, he works well. He's played well with Marcus Smart. He, he, he can play a little bit more off the ball, so he's not dominating the ball as much. Uh, and as far as him leading the team moving forward, he needs somebody else to to kind of take the scoring burden off of him. He's he said as much. When he's asked directly, do the Celtics need another scorer, he'll tell you yes. He's probably not the guy, the number one guy, but he's a number two guy. I mean, he can, and, and those guys, those number two guys can take over games. So the Celtics definitely need a primary weapon. They definitely need that superstar type of player. Now, whether that guy is someone that develops somehow through the draft or they have to trade for him, whatever, but they need the guy that they can rely on, like the Paul Pierce that they used to have, to say, everything's not working. You take the ball and kind of carry this offense, carry the team until we can figure it all out. And that's not necessarily Thomas. Coming into the season also, there was a lot of talk about Avery Radley's improved shooting. Actually, just looking at the percentages, it doesn't seem like there's that big of an increase, but I think in previous years he was mainly sticking to the corners. This year he's shooting a lot more threes, and especially a lot more threes above the break. Is that improvement more of a personal development for Bradley or something more particular about the offensive system that the Celtics are using this year? And also, is this finally the breakout season that we've been waiting for from Avery Bradley that we've been wanting for so long? Yeah, uh, I think that this is a personal improvement. The the I mean, the offensive system allows him to take more shots. And I think the problem with Avery Bradley is that he tends to be streaky. So he'll go out and have a 15-point first quarter and then finish with 23 points uh, or something along those lines. I'd like to see, what I'd like to see is a little more spaced-out consistency. And I think actually moving him to the second unit can kind of spread that out. He can be taking more shots later in the first quarter into the second quarter and then you know taking, taking those same shots spread out throughout the, the second half. I don't like some of the shots that he takes. He still gets into a little bit uh, of a long two mode, uh, but he's gotten a lot better at that. Stepping back, faking and stepping back and taking a three. 
Uh, but it's not all personal development because they are running. This is the new the new craze in the NBA: the, the dribble handoff, where guys are taking the dribble handoff and then just stopping behind the arc and popping those shots. Those are all, are an increasing percentage of the above the break threes that you see. Guys coming up from the sidelines, getting the dribble handoff, boom, shooting the three. Brad, Bradley likes to take those a lot. They run that for him a lot. So there's a little bit of a combination there about him shooting that, that shot better and then running some offense to get the, that shot for him. So, I, again, a little more consistency from Bradley. What I do like this year that he that, that's really tying everything together Last year, he was looking for a shot a lot more, and I think it was affecting his defense. I think last year was a down year for him defensively. This year, the defense is still on point. He's back to being the Avery Bradley defender with no real sacrifice to his offense. So I think when we talk about what Avery Bradley's really doing, that's, that's the development that I, I think is the most important, that he can look for his offense and that his shooting's a little bit better but that he's doing it while still being the Avery Bradley-type defender that he was known for. Yeah, and we've talked about the defensive system that's so smart and gotten guys to buy in and give effort. We've talked about the offensive system who, other than Isaiah Thomas, don't really have a go-to guy, and yet, I mean, they're an average NBA offense, but they've been top five in assist percentage both last year and this year with all the passing and movement and dribble handoffs and those type of plays that you alluded to. And all of that sort of comes back to Brad Stevens. Can you point to anything specific about Brad Stevens, maybe that he does differently from the majority of NBA head coaches that has allowed him to translate his success in the college game to the NBA? Well, I think the thing about Brad Stevens, you got to start with his attitude and his approach and his preparedness. That's the one thing you keep hearing from players. It's how prepared he is. Uh, so when you're going into a game, you're instilling not only a game plan based on intense preparation for the next opponent, you're instilling confidence in your players. The game plan that you've put together is something that if they go do what you say, it will be successful. So that is really important. And it's not to say that other coaches aren't prepared, but I think Stevens is is just at another level. And, and the rest of his staff, too, because he's got some, some great coaches on his staff. So I, I don't want to just make it all about him, but we always talk about teams buying in. The, the coaching staff is bought in, and they're, they're, they work incredibly hard on making sure that the guys – are where they're supposed to be and doing what they're supposed to do and they know what they're supposed to do. You see the out-of-timeout plays. He's one of the best out-of-timeout coaches in the league. So he's he's got a really good mind, a very good mind for the matchups, and he will trust his guys. And that's the next thing. He trusts his guys. It's a very Greg Popovich type of approach that he takes sometimes. Fans like to criticize some of the, the, the things that he does late in games, when they don't take a timeout, I like that he's trusting his guys and that he sees that when when the Celtics get the ball late in the game, the opponent has missed a shot and they have an opportunity to get out and run. He doesn't want to disrupt that flow. He trusts the players to execute a plan that they've worked on in practice to to work on a play. Whatever it is that they're doing out there, he, he just kind of lets it happen. 
And ultimately, that's going to end up being successful, I think, because those guys, you don't always have to turn and look at your coach. They can go and say, hey, in this situation, we're gonna we're just going to call out a number or call out something, and everybody's going to know what to do. So those couple of things, just just he carries himself in a way that just gets everybody to trust and buy into what he's selling. So he doesn't sell his players out when he gets mad. It's you know he's mad. He doesn't get mad often, so he doesn't waste it. He's not a screamer or a yeller. Uh, when things go well, he's always giving credit to the players. When things go poorly, he's generally taking the blame himself. So I think the players appreciate everything that he's doing, and it makes them want to just listen and, and do basically do what he says. Now, about the rookies coming into this season, there is a decent amount of talk of them coming in. They generally performed well in preseason and summer league, but so far this season... I don't think really anyone of them other than RJ Hunter at times has gotten a real chance to show off what they can do in extended minutes. What's your assessment on how those guys have been playing and how do you think they're fitting into the grander scheme? And also a side question is Hunter Rosier and and Jordan Mickey obviously were involved in that proposed draft day trade with the Charlotte Hornets that Danny H wanted to trade up to draft Justice Winslow in retrospect. How do you think that worked out that that trade didn't go through? Or would you rather have Justice Winslow at this point? Well, I will say that I like where RJ Hunter is. He's a really tremendous shooter. We all know that. But he's doing a lot of more rebounding than I expected. And he's just smooth out there. He looks like he belongs on the floor when he's out there. So he doesn't seem like he's afraid of the moment. He doesn't seem confused by anything. He may be a little physically overmatched sometimes. And, you know, he's still learning. So every once in a while, he's in the wrong place. But when he has the ball, more times than you would expect a rookie to to be in this situation, he knows what to do with that ball. And it very often works out. So maybe the shot doesn't fall or maybe the pass doesn't lead to a basket but you can see that the building blocks are there and that I think he's very advanced for a rookie. Rozier is super fast and could be like Isaiah Thomas 2.0 but a plus defender so he needs to just keep playing and keep developing uh, he showed a very nice touch in the preseason and in summer league It'll be interesting to see if he can develop into at least a solid backup point guard moving forward. And the Celtics, if they need anything uh, besides the scoring, it's some help at the backup point guard. So we'll see how he goes. And then Jordan Mickey's an interesting guy because he, first of all, is dominating the D-League. He has an uncanny ability to block shots, but he's also developing into a three-point shooter, which... I don't think many people expect it. So you've got a potential stretch big developing in Maine that they got in the second round. So he's a guy that I'm really curious about because if that development can translate into the NBA, then watch out. So the worst case scenario is that Hunter, I think, still develops into a solid NBA player. 
Rozier never quite figures it out, and Mickey becomes, you know, okay, but a bench player. But the best case scenario is that Hunter develops into a big time wing scorer. Mickey develops into a really good stretch big. And Rozier can be a super fast defensive point guard that can score. So the potential exists. And this is green goggle. I admit that. But I also try to be honest. Like if this, if this potential didn't exist, I wouldn't let myself go down this road. The potential exists for the stories to be written in three years that the draft that Danny Ainge desperately tried to trade out of could be his best draft ever. Again, this comes with the giant caveat that I know that guys go into the D-League and dominate the D-League and never make a dent in the NBA. But what Mickey is doing is consistently dominating D-League games. He's not, it's not a one-off thing. Uh, Rozier has gone down there and dominated D-League games. It's the matter of can they continue this development throughout the season into the summer and into next year. They've used some of Rozier, and he's he's clearly not ready for the NBA. They haven't really used Mickey much yet. I mean, obviously right now, Justice Winslow looks like a, a stud player, and you can see why Danny Ainge wanted him so much. But they could have three really good players, and I'm really bullish on R.J. Hunter. I think that he could develop into a really, really, really good NBA player. More on the rebuilding we're about a calendar year removed from the Rondo and Jeff Green trades right around this time last season. The Celtics sort of skipped the rebuilding phase of that and went back into being a playoff caliber team. And sometimes you worry about teams getting a little bit too good too fast, abandoning the process that they're looking for in the long term. I'm not that worried about that because the Celtics still have so many valuable assets, namely that Nets pick and many more picks in the coming years. But since they are sort of ahead of schedule, what sort of move do you foresee them making in the near future? And what are the needs that they still need? You've mentioned a go-to offensive guy, or is there anything else that they have on their horizon? Well, I, I don't think that they need to trade necessarily for some of the ancillary guys that they might feel like they need. So let's say a Ryan Anderson, who I think is going to be, he's a free agent, and he's going to be a pretty popular free agent, but again, everybody wants those stretch bigs, and if the Celtics can get a few of them, then that puts them, that's not all you need, but they can go sign him in free agency, or you you can maybe take a step below that and maybe more of a bargain in Toledovich and sign him in free agency. But I think if the Celtics are looking to upgrade their bench talent, they can do that in free agency without giving up any of their assets. The thing that's different about the Celtics is they have those assets like you mentioned. They have those good players. They have young, developing talents like we talked about. Guys like Olenek, who's in his third year. Guys like Sullinger, who's a restricted free agent that they could hold on to if they want. They have the the draft picks from from Brooklyn. I mean, they, you're you're basically looking at the Boston Brooklyn Celtics when it comes to development in the future, because they have the players and the the young guys, but they have Brooklyn's draft picks 
to look forward to for the next three years. It's not just this year's pick. They can switch next year, and then they have an unprotected one the year after. Plus, they have potentially Dallas's pick, and the uh, I think it's the Phoenix pick through Minnesota. So they they have a lot of options. If they can't make a trade for a superstar player, then they can go ahead and make those picks. I think if they do make a trade, it's it's going to be for a superstar type player. And I'm talking about like the Paul Georges and, and that high level type of perennial all star. If that guy becomes available, then you start trading away these assets. But if they're just looking to upgrade their bench and get a guy like a, a Ryan Anderson or something like that to to really bolster the, the the bench or maybe start him and keep a Linux on the bench, however it works, they can do that in free agency. There's no need to give up assets for what they need to do to bolster the the secondary players. So if a megastar comes available, fine, adjust. But if if not, then you keep going, and then maybe next summer when, when the big-time free agents come available, you have built a team that is so good that is just that one player away that you can go ahead and call whichever star it is that's available and say, hey, Look how good we are. We just need you. And you could be a champion in Boston. And when you look at the reception that KG keeps getting when he comes through town and Pierce and all of these other guys, these big tributes that they get in Boston and how the fans react, you become a legend for life. You, that appeals to the player's ego. So they become, and there's always talk about the Celtics not being a free agent destination. Well, they become one if they keep moving forward. Uh, and and a big free agent is available. So I like where they are. I'm not worried. It may not work out that way. It may not. It's You need luck. You need some things to happen. But I, I would say that there's no team in the NBA that's quite in the same position as the Boston Celtics. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. It was a pleasure talking to you, John. I've been following Red's Army basically since the start, and it was great to talk to you. Yeah, yeah, we've been following each other for a long time. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk. And thank you, listeners, for joining us again. Be sure to tune in later in the week when the Fishman Twins will be back and we'll talk more something.